Hello and welcome to A Soundtrack Odyssey, a podcast that asks the very important question, in the film of your life, what would the soundtrack be? My name is Stephanie Joy Hubbard, I'm a sometimes DJ and an always maker and lover of playlists. I wanted to start this podcast because, as impossibly wanky as it sounds, I see the world through music, as I know a lot of people do. I'm obsessed with music in film and how sometimes that's the most important part of a scene. Whenever I feel really inspired by something, I tend to immediately make a playlist to go along with that particular feeling or idea or concept, and somehow it helps me really formalise how I feel about something. So the idea with the soundtrack Odyssey is to turn the tables around on my guests and ask them to create the ultimate soundtrack to their lives so that I can get to know them that little bit more. I'll give them a few choice scenes, like the opening credits to their film, the closing credits, and then a few key moments for everything in between, like the song that would soundtrack their coming of age, or the song that would be playing during their death scene. I have a really special guest for my second episode, and I can't wait for you to get to know her. Today I'm absolutely thrilled to welcome one of the world's most talented songwriters and musicians, Emily Breeze. Emily's been a mate of mine for the past 10 years or so, and honestly it's, it's hard for me to quantify the sort of effect that she's had on me in that time. She's been a huge inspiration to me, musically and personally, and she's introduced me to artists that I would either have never listened to or certainly wouldn't have gone deep on. I met Emily through our respective boyfriends at the time. I was 20 and only pretty much listened exclusively to noisy guitar bands. We'd have epic all-night parties at Emily's infamous flat in St Paul's in Bristol, where I think every musician in Bristol has lived at some point or another. It really does deserve its own blue plaque. Um, And after the initial party time music was over and it was super late, we'd just sit around her kitchen table and she would play really deep cuts from Tom Waits, beautiful ballads by Frank Sinatra, Leonard Cohen, Lou Reed, Bob Dylan, Lee Hazelwood. And I think the first time I ever heard Scott Walker was when Emily played me Montague Terrace. And I literally can't imagine a world without him now, old Saint Scott. I'd be probably nearly half asleep at the time, but those nights really meant something to me. They changed the way that I saw music from something that was you know, to, to be danced to, to react to, to, some, to something instead to actually absorb. I don't know. But with influences like these, she's a real songwriter's musician, I think. Her own music is fucking spectacular, frankly. She's someone who creates worlds in her songs. Some that are euphoric, some that are horribly sad, some that are glamorous, some degraded some really rooted in reality um, and some rooted in some sort of cosmic velvet waiting lounge somewhere off planet Valium. But it's always vivid, tangible and relatable. In her new single, Ordinary Life, she talks about after the years of a gloriously misspent youth, the expectation that something bright and exciting is just around the corner you sort of suddenly realise, oh wait, I've turned into something I swore I'd never be, perfectly happy in my ordinariness. But you still mourn that, that unique, fizzing desperation of youth and that need to be seen and heard and to be experienced. So I'm very, very excited to speak to Emily and for you all to get to know her. Welcome, Emily Breeze. Hi, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Welcome to a Soundtrack Odyssey podcast. Are you ready to start your Odyssey? I'm ready to begin my Odyssey. Okay, wonderful. Um, First of all, I have got three quick fire questions to ask you. And you've just got to say whatever comes to the top of your mind. Okay. All film related and music related, just to sort of break the ice and get things started. Let's do it. 
What is your all-time favourite soundtrack to a film or TV show? My favourite film and film soundtrack is, my favourite film is The Shining. <gasps> and my favourite, it's also my favourite soundtrack because it has the electronic avant-garde pioneer, Wendy Carlos, mm. and the composers Penderecki and Bella Bartok playing horribly dissonant, gut-churning music. When did you first watch it? I think I was really young. I was probably about 11. My brother used to show me horror films when I was a kid. Um, it's just a gothic opera. It's completely stunning. OK, second question. What would the film of your life be called? Uh, I've had a very long day. And I don't have a snazzy answer for that question. Um, so I'm going to say Gremlins 5. Gremlin's Revenge. <laughs> Gremlin's Revenge. Nice. Okay. That's it. All right. Third question. What would be your villain song? If you were the villain in a film, what would you make your evil entrance to? So I'd like to think of something very camp and frothy for that, like a disco song, but I can't summon it right now. Um, I really love a song called The Pink Room, which is in the nightclub scene in Fire Walk With Me by Angelo Badlamenti. It's like a mm -hmm. cello loop, more gut-churning horror. And uh, the song Bedazzled from the film Bedazzled with Peter Cook and Dudley Moore. It's very sarcastic. Have you heard that? I don't think I have, actually. Oh, you will love it. It's really um, 60s mod psych with uh, Peter Cook going, you fill me with inertia. Go away. <laughs> you, you'll love it. You'll have to check it out. Is it quite camp then? Yes, it is camp. We got it. Yeah. Okay. You wanted a camp villain. You got her. Excellent news. Okay. Let's get into your your playlist. So you, I asked you to send me your songs that would make up the the soundtrack to the film of your life. I have listened to them and love them all, and I think they're all brilliant and in such an amazing order. So we will go through them now. First one is the opening credits. So the brief that I set you was like, what is setting the scene, the tone? What are people, what is the first thing that they're hearing on the screen to Emily Breeze's life? Um, and it could have been your favorite song. It could have been something that you just think tonally really works for, for introducing you. So Emily, what is your opening credits song? Uh, my opening credits song is All My Friends by LCD Sound System. And choosing these songs was a form of torture to the point where I almost felt annoyed with you because <laughs> I'm cheating on the other songs. So I've tried to pick these quite quickly. And as you know, I've started revising them. So I started overthinking it. Um, but firstly, it would be the most fantastic opening um, credit track. And mainly, though, you said something that you just think is amazing. And I was like, OK, well, this is a song I really love at the moment. Um, it has. It's a two chord song, mm. which is incredible. So his top line, his vocalist doing all the heavy lifting. I really love James Murphy's voice. I think it's, we wouldn't think of him as a traditional singer. He probably doesn't think of himself as a singer, but there's something so heartrending about the way he delivers vocals. And it has that really janky John Cale, Velvet Underground style piano part and the whiplash snare. And it is a song about people who are, losing themselves in a hopeless party. Mm. It has a sort of hopeless optimism to the song and this, you know, propulsive, joyful despair. <laughs> it does the whole lot, doesn't it? It's, it's, it's very, it's got a lot of tension in it between the emotions. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the opening is just amazing, isn't it? You just, you think how long is somebody going to hit that one note in the piano? Oh, it's going to last the whole song. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's just perfect. And yeah, I, I agree. I think it is a permanent party. And it's like, I love how he changes the way he says, and so it starts. Mm. Like the first time he says it, it's like, and so it starts. And he kind of goes up at the end. And then this story unfolds of like, we're going home. We're listening to the charts. Maybe the sun will come up. It doesn't care. I'm young. I'm carefree. Who gives a shit? And then the but second... But he does. Go on. Carry on. 
No, no, go on, you go. He cares so much. He's the unreliable narrator, um, which is where the tension comes in. Carry on, Stephanie. What were you saying? It's like the second time he says it, he kind of goes down. He's making more of an affirmative statement. And so it starts. And it's like, I just love the punctuation of the way he changes that statement. It kind of, in the start, it's really optimistic. And then this, by the second time he says it, it's like almost, oh, we're here again, kind of a thing. I just really love that. The cycle of party doom. Exactly, yeah. And I, I also read the lyrics just before we got on the call and it's particularly satisfying because it's not a laboured lyric. I was, I was thinking, well, what are the key lines in this song? And for me, it's um, we set controls for the heart of the sun. That's how we show our age. Just talking about the Pink Floyd song. And um, But other than that, and the repetition, if that's how it starts, it's actually, he's not laboured over it. He's not, but tried to use lots of, you know, poetic devices. And it's particularly satisfying for that reason, because it's much more like a conversation as opposed to something that's been polished to manipulate my emotions, which isn't something I'd normally, I'd be like, try harder, write the perfect lyric, come on. But in this context, I think it's much more effective. He's the ultimate old, old underdog as well, right? Like he was, I think, 32 when this album came out. He'd had like previous kind of success, but this was this was like proper mainstream. And I think because of that, he's just got so much to give. He's got, he's not just like an enthusiastic puppy dog. He's, he's got some lived experience. He's more um, like a sad, sad teddy bear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. But that's what they say, the early success makes a bad teacher. I remember when I was in my late 20s going, oh, it's okay, because um, Patty Smith didn't do horses till she was 30, and Blondie was 30, and Jarvis Cocker was on the dole till he was, you know, and then eventually I got older than all of these people who were these sort of benchmarks, so it's okay, you know, it can still happen. And um, James Murphy talks about, are they, you know, you said, what do you say, he's 31? See, to me, I'm 41, that seems really young to me, um, but it does give a depth of storytelling that if you kind of hit it um, of major success, which very few people do. We kind of think of that as the rock and roll narrative, but as you and I know, we're surrounded by fabulous musicians, some of which are fantastically successful and some of which aren't. And the sort of talent, meaning, commercial ratio is completely mixed between all of those people. There are so many variables that happen to get you to that place. And I, But I do think that if you think about great short story writers like Raymond Cover or any great author or great painters, they, were, they'd, they wouldn't normally, some of them would never reach any level of what we call a c- commercial success. And some would, but they'd be much older. And there are things that older people have. And older, I mean, you know, it's not fucking old, is it, 31? But there are things that people have to say because they weren't cloistered by fame and success. Because mm. what really do you have to say if you've spent 20 years being rich and successful that anybody needs or wants to hear not a lot he does an uh, absolutely brilliant it's on youtube and he talks about failure i mean i wouldn't have considered anything that he's done to be a failure but if he was sort of young and pushing for you know top 10 superstardom i suppose it might have felt like that to him but it's really i would urge anybody to listen to it and again it's about that sort of wisdom that comes through not getting whatever you wanted being a, a laughable dad <laughs> Right, we're going to move on to Act One, which is the coming of age scene or collection of scenes. Um, yes. I asked you to to come up with a track that really embodies that for you. So something that reminds you of your early years or something that was quite formative for you, teenage times, um, maybe summer holidays or just the first the first band that you loved or something around about that sort of childhood coming of age time. So, so Emily, what is your your coming of age track? My coming of age track is Graceland by Paul Simon. Um, I went for uh, early. It's not you know coming of age is normally associated with sort of the development into adulthood, being torn away from your childhood. But this, I was about I don't know maybe six, and my dad my dad's car smelled of fags fag ash. Apple course. I remember vividly that sort of sensory experience. 
and they used to have Graceland on all the time, which I think has gone on to be considered to be incredibly uncool. And um, you know, that's that's up to you. Miss out if you would want to not enjoy this fantastic piece of music, this fantastic album. It's the most upbeat song about a divorce mm. in the world. And as as a child, I was. I think that's probably why I ended up many years later getting into songwriting. I was fascinated by the stories. They were filled with adult mystery. Mm. I knew it was I knew it meant something deep and rich and magical and painful, but I didn't know what those things were. We used to I used to play the Everly Brothers a lot, and those harmonies used to really haunt me in the car. And there was a song called Wake Up Little Susie. I was like, why does do you know that song? Yeah. I was like, yeah. why does Susie have to wake up? Why? What's happened? And obviously. They've gone to the cinema to have um, a lovely cuddle, shall we say? And you know, and you're just trying to figure out that move the Rubik's cube and figure out what all these stories mean when you're a kid. The Graceland, it's it's so it's so full of landscape and detail. It's got mm. fairly simple chords, but the arrangement is you know it's led with Matt Van Basten's voices on it, and it's uh, it's got so many incredible. Losing love is like a window in your heart. Yeah, he's one of the greatest songwriters. I've I've realised recently that he is one of the sort of god tier songwriters. There's so much to learn from. Yeah, that juxt it's. I must have heard this song a hundred times, but I'd never looked at it properly until you sent it as part of your playlist. And I thought, oh, I'll look at the lyrics, obviously. And then I started to realise, yeah, that it's 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 a very upbeat song about a divorce, and he is having a terrible time, and he's he's going back to his roots he's like right I'm very sad I'm going on a journey I'm gonna figure myself out and part of that is he's going to Elvis Presley's house Graceland to rediscover his musical roots and part of his personality that perhaps he lost in his relationship with Carrie Fisher I mean I was just like bowled over I was like what that's what Graceland's about and now I just I've been listening to it all week it is you're right it is an incredibly written song and he is a genius how he juxtaposes this very happy voice this very pure kind of almost like infantile voice with these really important um weighty lyrics is just it's pretty magical isn't it and he went to Africa there's some controversy about apartheid around that album which I'm not going to wade into but I do know that the musicians who played on it enjoyed playing on it and had great careers through that and apparently he went out there and was trying to sort of channel some of that environment into his writing and nothing was landing and then he just used this quite this quite dillany um but his experience of being like a jewish guy who lives in new york who's going through a divorce and heading to the sanctuary of graceland it's always incredibly it couldn't be more american and western mm -hmm. And then, yeah, juxtaposing it against this fantastic music, just deeply unusual. And um, so lots of my friends really hate this song. <laughs> and my, me and my best friend, Molly, love it. And we frequently put it on at parties and dance and sing, like in a really sort of nauseating way, but we're having the time of our lives. And sometimes we have to dance, but also fight all the men off the stereo whilst they're coming <laughs> to try and change it. So we're doing like sort of Kung Fu whilst singing and dancing they want to put on something boring you know you have to defend the stereo yeah I really I've really enjoyed like discovering this song um just like how he can sort of take quite a simple word like son my son and turn it into my traveling companion is nine years old he is the child of my first marriage like thank you for that beautiful detail um and yeah, the, the the window to your soul thing, everyone can see the wind coming through you after a heartbreak. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you've got no armour. There's nothing there to... And he says, um, she comes back to tell me she's gone, as if I didn't know that, as if I didn't know my own bed, mm. as if I didn't know that... Notice the way she brushes her hair from her forehead, and it's just crushingly um, sad in the way that I really enjoy that makes me happy. <laughs> There's there's also that lyric about there's a girl in New York and she calls herself the human trampoline. And you think, oh, what? what? Why would a girl call herself that? And then he talks about, and sometimes when I'm falling and flailing, 
I realise Humbling that. in turmoil, I say, whoa, so this is what she means. We will move on to act two, whilst Emily lights a fag. <laughs> what I'm doing. I don't smoke. I'm giving up really soon. All right, let's do it. What's the next act? Okay, act two is first love. So I asked you, what song reminds you of the first thing or person that you fell in love with? What reminds you of a time that you realised that you'd just fallen head over heels for something or someone? So, Emily, what is your what is your first love song? I really struggled with this one. Um, my first love was actually um, Sam Beckett from a 1980s TV show called Quantum Leap, which you're probably too young to remember. Um, well, brief synopsis is that it's a sci-fi about um, an incredibly handsome, good man who drops into different people's bodies and has to solve a problem in their lives before he leaps into someone else's body. It's fucking brilliant. And um, I loved him because he was good. He was a good man, a moral man. That's when I was a kid. But I didn't really want to put the Quantum Leap soundtrack in here, even though it's actually <laughs> brilliant. And my second love was Judd Nelson. That's the actor's name. What's the character's name? John Bender in The Breakfast Club. And that's when mm. I became a, a corrupted, disaffected teenager. And I loved him because he was bad. So I was into, I sort of loved him. I sort of wanted to be him as well. He was wearing like a plaid shirt and he'd light his baseball boot on fire and then put his cigarette to his shoe and light it from that. He was the, the, the archetypal Someone that you would think of as a real dickhead now, but at the time I thought it was fantastically cool and I probably still do. Mm -hmm. So I moved on from there. I was like, no, neither of those are right. Neither of those are right. And as you know, I then sent you a track by a soundtrack artist. They were actually in a band called Mika Chu and the Shapes. Mika Levi, yes. who did the soundtrack to Jonathan Glazer's Under the Skin, which was a film that I enjoyed. I thought it could have been a 20-minute music video. I thought that. Would have, I would have enjoyed it more. Don't think it needed the length, but it's it's got all the sex treacle in it. It's got Scarlett Johansson. Mm. Um, sex treacle. <laughs> <laughs> how, what, how else will we describe that black tar? Yeah, no, that's absolutely the way to describe it. <laughs> so I did say I, I changed my mind at the last minute, as you know, Steph. But so we could talk about the Mika Levi track. That's um, it's just really woozy pitch bend synth atmospheric mm. brilliance that I think captures that strange nothing will ever be the same again like the fucking floor falling out from beneath your feet profundity of when you fall deeply in love with somebody and it's mesmeric and beautiful and terrifying mm. and then I changed it again didn't I Steph you did you did just but, but 10 minutes ago wasn't stressful Sorry, mate. Um, <laughs> I thought I thought about I've been in love with a few people. It's been it's been wonderful not to have been with the same person my whole life. And I've you know you absorb each other's record collections and cultural capital and ideas. And when I was sixteen, I used to go out with a guy who. It's a lovely guy. It's called Luke. He's a really good friend of mine. His wife's a really good friend of mine. He's a great guitar player. And his dad was called Jippy Mayo. And he was the guitar player in a band called Dr. Feelgood. So he's the guitarist after Wilco, who actually wrote their biggest hit, Milk and Alcohol. Mm. And his house, they were from South End. And his house was a fucking museum. You know, it's like, you know, original 55 Gibbs or every guitar you could ever wish to see or play. Really... And it had all the books. I read Raymond Carver there, Kathy Acker, you know, really obscure counterculture shit from the 60s, like how they made Oz magazine. And we didn't have the internet. So I just absorbed all of this stuff. He had cassettes of 2000 Motels by Frank Zappa, just a whole cupboard, a broom cupboard full of all these cassettes. And he had the biggest record collection I've ever seen. And wow. I fell deeply in love with 1960s psychedelic music. And so whilst I was going out with Luke, um, we were just delving through, we were upset, anything from the 60s we were completely obsessed with, and, but particularly Jimi Hendrix. And I think the song, Boldest Love, 
it's got a real naivety to it lyrically, which I think is totally lacking in cynicism, which takes real guts. And the music is just such a rich fucking celebration of humans, actually, and human connection, I think, which is something I would like to pretend to be too cynical to care about, but I'm not. <laughs> yeah, I think, I like, what... What I think is quite similar, though, about these two songs, the Mika Levi song, Love, from the soundtrack of um, Under Under the Skin, and then this Jimi Hendrix track, Boulder's Love, they both have this bend. They have this bending. And, you know, I'm not a music person, so that's kind of as rich as my vocabulary gets, but it it bends. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And, it, and, um, and what I like about that, relating to love and falling in love, is the disorientation the the upside down you've entered the upside down you're like wow what the fuck is happening um that Mika Levi track especially you feel like you're being twisted upside down in space which is what her victims were was happening to them and that really special breed of sad synth like there are large portions of my life where all I want to listen to is desperately sad bending synth <laughs> so I really really love that track for that reason but then in the Jimi Hendrix track it does that same thing but with his guitar of course that was a fucking fantastic segue between those two tracks when I just told you that I changed it at the last minute um <laughs> and I think it's very an excellent observation um bend. yeah I'm impressed <laughs> bend. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to move on to the next scene which is point of conflict or despair so usually in a film you know things are going well and then the character goes out on some sort of jeopardy some sort of jeopardous journey they've got to go seek something so this is possibly where it's going wrong something's going wrong Emily in the film of your life um so I asked something that's maybe helped you through dark times, um, something that you would want to accompany your darkest hour maybe, um, or just like the go-to thing when you're sad or something dramatic that's playing in a fight scene when you want to storm off in anger. Yeah. So what is your track for Point of Conflict or Despair? My track is uh, Dirt by the Stooges. Um, I mean, it's the best seven minutes of anybody's life, in my opinion. I was imagining this. I don't really think of um, a song, if I'm feeling bad, I don't think, oh, I'll listen to that song, it'll make me feel better, that sort of reflects that sadness. I'd probably just listen to Bob Dylan because it's always good. But So I didn't really go down that road. I was imagining, it's Dirt is such a fuck you song. Mm. You can't even be, him and the band, it can't even be fucked to give you an angry, fast, aggressive song. It's a sludgy, sulking, bratty dirge. You're not even worth their anger. And he says, I've been dirt and I don't care. But it's the delivery of that I don't care. I realised, because this is just before we did this, that um, there's a line in my single, I didn't care. Mm. I thought I was I thought I was ripping off Patty Smith going, you know, when she goes, I went to this here party and I just got bored. That's like that spat out delivery is fucking stunning. I thought I was ripping her off, but I realized it's Iggy actually. And I don't care. It's so um I mean he doesn't care. No. Maybe he does. <laughs> He's trying too hard, but I believe it anyway. It's um it's a hypnotic, mesmeric badly recorded cycle a grind it's just so grinding there's a real dissonance to it and um it's not it's not trying to make you like it in any way you know it's not saying oh please 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 follow my tiktok account <laughs> no he really does not care um yeah that's such a great observation i love i love the i love the reasoning behind that because it's bratty. It is so bratty. Um, it's like, it's kind of lazy. It's also very sexy. It's very, it's really very sexy. Sexy, isn't it? Super sexy. And it's, yeah, from my favourite Stooges album, 
fun house the worst in some people's opinion but it's my fave <laughs> it's, it's my favorite that's so that makes me happy to hear you say that it's my favorite because it's just like warped jungle music um mm. something awful happened to me the other day we were I was in a music fight, as I frequently am. It's so much fun, isn't it? Um, and we listened to ACDC, and I was like, they're fucking overrated. You know, they've only got three songs. I an whole album of ACDC. And I was listening to it, and I was like, oh, no, this is actually amazing. Like, the rhythm section is so good. And I was like, yeah, okay, well, well, this show pony stuff. Put on fucking fun house. And it, the problem is, it's so badly recorded. I mean, it sounds amazing, but if you play it against anything... Um, bright <laughs> just disappears. There's just one of those like no impact moments, like when you try and make somebody watch a comedy that you really like, and then you're like, oh fuck, I shouldn't. Do you know what? I should never speak ill of the Stooges. We must cut this bit of the podcast <laughs> because they are holy to me. That I know they are to you as well. Just such an important band. Yeah, it's um this song especially but actually the whole album is is like you're watching somebody enter oblivion and i think that's why i like it it works as an album in in a way that i don't feel a lot of albums do anymore or ever have actually it's it's um i don't know i just feel like each song tell is telling the same story and it really works they're telling it in different ways obviously musically but you know, you're 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 watching someone literally enter obliv- oblivion. That's li- that's what Iggy was doing at the time, right? He was having a very sexy oblivion time. I just love it. Yeah, How so I can sexy really oblivion time. <laughs> Erotic, sexy oblivion time. Sounds amazing. Let's go. Next scene. Yeah. Obviously, we have we've had our moment of despair. It's now time to bring it up. This is the moment of enlightenment or moment of euphoria. So that moment when you realise something really profound, you feel really euphoric, something hits you in a way that just makes you really, really happy. Um, So, Emily Bruce, what is your moment of euphoria song? My moment of euphoria song, or enlightenment, is a sweet thing by Van Morrison from the album Astral Weeks. Um, This goes back to the time of being about 16 17 and really obsessed with the 1960s and anything from that era and just pulling everything out of chippy mayo's record collection um this song fucks me up i think if someone played it to me now i wouldn't get it i'd be like oh that's kind of cool um daddy music um <laughs> so something happens to us when we the music we hear when we're young it it, it, uh, it just explodes our synapses the reason why old people go, well, music's not as good as it used to be. It's not because that's true, obviously. It's because you don't respond. You're just not like a quivering raw nerve on a plate in the same way anymore. So definitely heard it at the right time, which I'm very grateful for because it's one of the albums I've loved for my entire life and I know I'll love for the rest of my life. Mm. And we used to, we had a friend and he had a giant, there's really big catering coffee jars, like Nescafe coffee jars. And it was full of mushrooms that his stepdad had left at his house. And he now had the jar. So there was this whole, so the, the lysergic autumn of 1997. And we'd go into a graveyard. <laughs> and he'd um, give us, there's a load of us, you know, and he'd, he'd give us all like a handful of mushrooms, like, Jesus with the loaves and the fishes and the 5,000. And we would walk out into the, he lived like miles out of town. So we'd walk, so, so half of it was down a motorway and half of it was through fields. And we'd walk all the way there. It was truly, that's why I'd say the moment of enlightenment. I, as you know, I'm not at all uh, cosmic, but I do think something happens when you have that psychedelic rinse out. Mm-hmm. And um, then we'd go back to his place and, drink endless cups of tea and smoke roll-ups and listen to Astral Weeks by Van Morrison. So I really, it really reminds me of, it, that's really the coming of age, if you think of it as that part of age song. But um, Van Morrison was, this This isn't fair actually, he was, I assume that that was one of his much later works. He was, tw- I think he was 21, maybe 22. Mm, yeah, too, too young to have written such a beautiful song. <laughs> It's incredible. And the, it's, the lyrics are really abstract. 
and um, it's like a Dylan Thomas poem or something. And yeah. the musicians would, um, I think they just recorded it in a weekend and they didn't know any of it. They just sort of moved with it. It blows my mind, that song. Mm. We are, we're nearing the end of your film. Nearing the end of my film. So much so that we are, we're actually into the death scene. Terrible, terrible times, Emily Bruce. Um, so for your death scene or funeral song, it could be a track that plays over your imagined death scene, or it literally could be a song that you want playing at your funeral. You know, is it super sad or is it going to be euphoric? Um, so, Emily, what is your funeral or death song, please? My funeral song is it's a bit on the nose. Um, it is Dress Sexy at My Funeral by a band called Smog with the songwriter Bill Callahan. Um, for the record, we can sort of use this as a, a will and testament. I don't give a fuck what anybody plays at my funeral or if I have one because I'll be dead. So <laughs> don't worry about it. Feed me to the pigeons. It's, it's no, of no consequence to me. Mm. Um, but I chose this song because I, I've said this in a few interviews, but it contains the holy trinity of songwriting, certainly, you know, for lyrics, uh, funny, sad, sexy. It's got all three of those elements contained in it. I'm going to read out some of the lyrics. You can uh, you can do some really great editing whilst I make them appear. <laughs> anyway, that'll take a little while. Tell me what you think about this song, Steph. It's in one of your Spotify playlists, which I've been listening to. So I was familiar with this song. And oddly, I played it last night for a mate that came round to my house to borrow a sexy dress for a funeral. No fucking way. And I'm, I put it on. <laughs> And I made her prance around with um with with this song playing in a beautiful, sexy black uh, silk dress on. Wait, I need some backstory on this. So my I always would I was when I go to when I was in my twenties, I used to go to people's weddings with a black veil on <laughs> and a little sort of beret, just because it was so fun to be that like vampy Disney villain character. I don't think anyone minded. I've always wanted to be the, the woman at the back of the wedding who's obviously been having an affair with the person and that sort of got a black lace hanky and they're dabbing away a tear looking like a, like a fantastic whore. Uh, I, that really appeals to me, all of that imagery. So I need to know, why did your mate want a sexy dress for the funeral? Because hasn't seen this group of friends for 10 years. Right. So, you know, and it was very similar to what you just said. She wants to rock up and for people to be like, you look good, girl. You know, so I respect um, it. it's a similar in, vibe. I gave in fact, her, I applaud it. Yeah. In fact, I gave her I gave her the dress that I'm wearing now, which is uh, mid length, big, big dress energy, black sack, sexy black sack, basically. Um, she put it on. She was like, "Yeah, yeah, it's good, it's nice." I was like, "You look really cool." She was like, "Yeah, but I want to get, I want to be sexy." And I was like, "Okay, girl, I got you." So I, I brought something else out, which was a mini, mini dress, silk, long cuffs, Victorian cuffs, and uh, low cut. And she put that on, and we both went, "Yeah, yeah, it's, it's that one. It's definitely that one." And also, much as I said, I don't give a fuck what happens after I'm dead. Yeah, if all my friends turn up looking like ready to slay well that'd be something wouldn't it he gets a jab in really quickly right in the first verse dress sexy at my funeral my good wife for the first time in your life wear your blouse undone to here and your skirt split up to here same line again dress sexy at my funeral my good wife wink at the minister blow kisses to my grieving brothers dress sexy at my funeral my good wife and when it comes your turn to speak before the crowd Tell them about the time we did it on the beach with fireworks above us, on the railroad tracks with gravel in your back, in the back room of a crowded bar and in the graveyard where my body now rests. Goes on from there. There's quite a nice little last line where he says, tell them how, about how I gave to charity and I tried to love my fellow man as best I could. But most of all, don't forget about that time on the beach, the fireworks above us. It's really catty there's, there's quite a few little jabs in there and bitchy lines 
but it's a real love song. It's a really funny, beautiful love song with fantastic imagery. I think it's almost the perfect love song in a lot of ways. Yeah. Because it's such an original idea, such an original take on it. They're a great band that I find Bill Halican, Bill Callahan frustrating because he's got some songs that that just blow my mind. There's one called Riding for the Feeling, which I think is one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard. And there's another smog song called Cold-Blooded Old Times, which I'm really fond of. And then a lot of his stuff, I think it's really good, but I don't get, I don't connect with it at all. So I get sort of almost, I have this with Mark Lanigan as well. Bubblegum, that album, so amazing. It's got some songs that I think it's like some of my favourite songwriting. And then I'm wading through 10 other albums. I'm like, oh, why did you, how could you let me down like this? I need you, come on. But I know other people that, love all of it I don't know what can you do I hadn't heard of this band before actually but I'd heard the song because it was it's buried in one of your one of your great great playlists so I'll have to delve in do it final scene closing credits so the this is the song that's going to be playing when the credits roll maybe the tears are rolling too um something that is playing when the audience applause this beautiful film um so emily what is your what is your last song on your playlist what's closing us out my closing credit song is is that all there is by peggy lee so firstly i'm allowing the audience to go oh is that it nice one <laughs> you know the fantastic anticlimax of my ordinary life um it's another, it's, it's a bitchy, catty, I love a bit of sarcasm in a lyric. The first time I heard this song, it was actually, there's a version of it by PJ Harvey and John Parrish on an album. I'm pretty sure it's called Dance Hall at Laos Point. And it's good, obviously, you know, they're both fantastic musicians, so it's really great. But when I heard the original, I was like, oh, there's the song, because they, they, PJ and John Parrish deliver it with the, it's quite serious and they're putting emotion into it. And that to me sort of kills the idea of the song. It's actually written by, I was, I was really upset when I found out that Peggy Lee didn't write it because she inhabits it so authentically. It's actually written by Libra and Stoller. Um, and I suppose it doesn't matter who wrote what, it doesn't matter at all. It just, it matters what it means to us and how it impacts our emotions. But um, it's a really existential depressing, terrifying song dressed up in this sort of circus, this frothy lace curtain circus music. Um, it's a devastating piece of music, I think. Such a good choice for a closing, closing us out. Is that all there is? You know, like perennially disappointed. And I love that she takes us from being 12 to a woman and these 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 series of events in her life where she's gone, what? That's it. <laughs> I just love yeah. that. And I always makes me always always makes me think straight away of is this it by the Strokes, just mm. the same sentiment. And I I'd love to know more about why and how they wrote that because they wrote like really popular show tunes. They were like you know the, one of the biggest songwriting teams of the century and. And she was one of the biggest stars. And what what were they trying to do to us? Because it's not like some arty band in Berlin in the late seventies being like, actually, guys, life's bullshit. Okay, I'm gonna like blow your minds. It was they they. I don't think that's what the field they were working in. But I, they did it better than any um, disaffected Saint Martin's kids, you know only only she can sing this song in the way that it conveys its pure meaning like, I think so I mean god I'm going to regret saying this but there is it's you know it's absolutely enchanting to be alive and there's so much magic and wonder in really mundane moments there's so much to be grateful for and once you get over the idea of what you think was supposed to happen you can begin to actually engage with what you have um mm. i don't i think cynicism is funny sarcasm's funny cynicism's funny 
but it doesn't suit people over the age of 30. I don't mean when you're just being like a um, sucky little bitch, which I'll never stop being, but a, a cynical outlook on an older person, you, you see them in pubs going like, um, oh, we my band could have been really big, but... Uh, you know, the, the music industry actually is just like shit and stuff. So and all modern music is shit. And it's like that is just it's boring and it's depressing. And it's um, well, I don't want to have a pint with that person. You know, it's it's OK for kids. That's all right. And that, in fact, it's sort of I quite like it. Cause, you, know, so, you know, I teach teenagers and then being like this bullshit. I'm like, that's right. It is correct. <laughs> And it's quite a it's quite beautiful on a young person, but you can't drag that into your forties, you know. And that's her punchline, isn't it? So let's keep dancing. Let's let's bring out the booze. Let's have a ball. And I think you're so right. If you didn't, if you had just the cynicism and not that little punchline, it wouldn't have the same impact. But it speaks to that part of my personality, definitely, and of of course yours as well. Of well, let's just have a drink then. You know, if this fuck is it, it. <laughs> it, cocktails on the Titanic, people, is what we That's are. It. That's <laughs> it. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Peggy Lee, best best voice ever. What do you think? I don't really think about it like that at all. I would say best vocal delivery. I mean, in, or a, a you know very impactful vocal delivery best singer I don't really like singers you know like great singers so, so in terms of communicating the song I can't imagine somebody else doing it as we as we discussed I, I wouldn't go anywhere near it it's it is yes it's the perfect rendition of that lyric okay all right best singer fine <laughs> but I read that she I read that the the way that she sings, she sort of developed it from uh, because she sang at the Dollhouse in Palm Springs, and it was a really larry uh, joint, like very very loud. And she was hired to sing, and she decided that the only way that she could possibly compete with the noise was to sing under them. And I just love that, like she 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 conquered loudness with quietness. It's a, I talk about this at work a lot, teaching. Music. I can't teach people how to sing. I don't know anything technical about singing, but I do know a bit about how to engage an audience. And um, if everything's just pushing the energy out, it's okay if you're wearing spandex and you've got like a five octave range that cuts through. But actually, it's absolutely that. The more and more quiet you get, it's like you've got a little secret. And so, no, 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 it's not for you. You can't have it unless you're very well behaved and they come closer and closer so did that actually work I didn't know that you do some good research don't you Steph on this very pro <laughs> so that work did it of her just doing this really impassive fuck you delivery apparently yeah apparently she you know was very small in stature and um commanded the room that way and that's how she developed this beautiful purr that she had and of course she did you know loads of um voice work didn't she she was she was quite a lot of the cast of Lady in the Tramp I didn't know that ah yeah well, as soon as I read that I was like oh, of course yeah yeah and she she sung that um La La Lou song and the the Siamese cat song and um she was the voice of Peg you know the 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 sassy the sassy dog in the pound and she was also the voice of Darling, the human owner, who is very, you know, posh American dream housewife. I haven't watched that film for some time, but I shall revisit it in the uh, honour of Peggy Lee. It's a masterpiece. Also, apparently, and we all owe her credit for this, she's credited with uh, inventing the margarita cocktail. What the fuck? <laughs> That's my... That's in my top two favorite cocktails. Really? Yeah. Apparently, she she was she came back to New York or something, and she'd been on holiday in Mexico, and she recalled a drink that she had sort of had in Mexico, and then obviously the 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 American version got famous. She's like, yeah, it's like limes, uh, tequila. <laughs> 
Okay, so I'm going to read you back your your soundtrack and then tell me what you think overall. So for your opening credits, All My Friends, LCD Sound System, your coming of age track is Graceland by Paul Simon, First Love, Jimi Hendrix, Bold as Love, Point of Conflict or Despair, Dirt by The Stooges, Moment of Enlightenment or Euphoria is Sweet Thing by Van Morrison. Your death scene is Dress Sexy at My Funeral by Smog. And the closing credits is Is That All There Is by Peggy Lee. What do you think hearing it back? Well, obviously, I think it's fucking fantastic because I've just picked out a load of my favourite songs. Um, Although I'm still want to revise all of it because I feel like I've missed out it's not about anything to do with um them reflecting any part of my life because I didn't take that too seriously uh it's just the rolodex of music that I love in my head um like I said I feel like I'm cheating on other songs but um yeah I'd listen to it and I do frequently yeah I mean I will listen to it and so will our listeners Emily Breeze's soundtrack is linked in the description so you can have a listen to all those amazing tracks. So thank you so much, Emily. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Steph. It's always a joy to see you. And you. Well, what bloody fun that was. I adore Emily um, and I hope that I've successfully managed to induct you all into her fan club of Gremlins. As a collection, um, those songs are just perfect I think. Um, They're all full-on stories in their own rights um, and they all paint really distinct pictures. You've got Peggy Lee's life story uh, through the eyes of a a kind of a cynic. You've got LCD Sound System's celebration of love and friendship through the ages. There's the Stooges in Iggy's heroine stage which is just a seven minute sexy dirgy triumph. And you've got Paul Simon's heartbreak leading him on a road to go back to discover what's truly important to him uh, personally and musically. And also the day that I'm recording this is the day that Emily's new album came out. It's called Rapture. That's also linked in the description. It's brilliant. It's amazing. It's an album that she is calling a collection of coming of middle age stories. I've also linked her other album, Rituals, in there, which came out a few years ago, and that's absolutely incredible as well. Follow Emily on Instagram. She's at emilybreeze66, uh, where she shares cookie recipes, dog pictures, and meals out. Just kidding. She doesn't do that at all. (laughs) But she does post photos of herself in progressively more fabulous coats, so there's that. You can also find out where you can catch her live because she's about to embark on a UK tour and you must go if you can. She is phenomenal and hypnotic live. Check out her Instagram for dates. Thank you so much for listening and for feeding back on the first episode. I hope you are enjoying a soundtrack odyssey. I'm loving making them. See you next time.